0: Cascadia was born of fire and ice. Nineteen volcanic peaks stretch from Canada to California. Sulfur, lava, ocean mist, evergreens, and fog co to create one of the world's most haunting, mysterious realms. There are rumors a network of lava tubes connect the mountains beneath the surface. From ancient alien civilizations to Sasquatch to Legends of the Watchers to underground libraries, Gilt and Gold. Yes, folks, lace up your hiking boots. Curious Cat is venturing into the woods of the Cascades for an unforgettable season three. Find all Cascadia episodes on your regular Curious Cat feeds. Special season art was created by Nora's Unnamed Photos. Follow them on Instagram to keep up with their latest designs. Okay, so recently, I had the most incredible conversation about Sasquatch in the Cascade Mountains with Derek Condit. He's the shooting star that owns Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington, and they're online as well. He has incredible healing and psychic abilities and recognizes Sasquatch as a selfless healer, like himself, I've got to add. Our rich conversation was an hour long, and even after I stopped recording, my mind raced with more questions. That's a long lead up to today's bonus Cascadia Sasquatch episode. Today, I'm reversing gears for a second. I'm going to go over Bigfoot 101, then share more about Missing 411 David Politis' book that he's written. Actually, he's written multiple about Bigfoot and his free YouTube course about Bigfoot. And I'm also going to tell you some older stories that I found when I was backgrounding for Derek Condit's interview. Last but not least, I'll dig into Sasquatch's alleged supernatural powers. Let's get into it. Sasquatch has lots of names: Bigfoot, Stick Devil, Kushtaka, Wild Man, Ape Man, Yeti, Abominable Snowman, Yowie, and Skunk Ape. From the book *Raincoast Sasquatch* by J. Robert Alley, he details one tribe that believes Sasquatch was once human. He nearly drowned in water and was transformed into the first of the Otter people. Common traits of Bigfoot or Sasquatch from the first-hand accounts, that he's eerily human. For this information, I turn to the book Tribal Bigfoot by missing 411 author David Politis. It is well worth buying or requesting from your local library, just for the sketches alone by forensic artist Harvey Pratt. I've put the links to David Politis' website in the show notes. All right, so human-like. Near the back of Politis' book, there are illustrations where Harvey Pratt depicted Sasquatch without fur on his face. The results are going to challenge attitudes that Sasquatch is some sort of ape. No, it's clear there's a direct human link from these forensic sketches. These sketches, by the way, came from detailed descriptions given by credible witnesses that also provided signed affidavits. If they are proven to have lied, then they could spend time in jail. Sworn statements that Sasquatch is human. Pretty interesting. Other common attributes, Sasquatch is tall, ports range from seven to nine feet with long arms that end at the knees. Oh, and an important note here, many in the Bigfoot research field say this is the easiest indicator, a way to spot a hoaxer, is their costume will have arms that are the same length as us, not long enough to be a real Bigfoot. 99.99% of witnesses say hair covers Sasquatch's body and can be gray, white, shades of brown, or black. There's one researcher who suggested that the variation in hair color, the graying and thinning later on in life, mimics Homo sapiens, which I found really interesting. And if you remember from my interview with Derek Condit, he had a totally different take on this. Like a column of smoky quartz crystal that is deep and dark at the beginning of a metaphysical um, session that bleeds out to a mix of clear and brown at the session's conclusion. He believes Sasquatch's hair color reflects a, a vibration and that change in color is that um, a visual reflection of using up energy. So the darker the hair, the more energy in Sasquatch's physical battery. And that is super interesting, isn't it? A quick note Accounts of hair on Sasquatch's face are extremely rare. I mean, a lot of depictions will show that. And I know the Patterson-Gimlin um, footage has a Bigfoot, a female Bigfoot that has hair on her face, but the, it also shows some shine on the nose with a bridge of the nose where the sun would hit. So you see that it's thinner hair there. Another aspect is unusual vocalizations. Some say Sasquatch is able to carry or throw his voice. And in a few specific stories, his whistles tend to be an all-clear signal to other Bigfoots or Sasquatches in the area. Some say that he can mimic an owl or a um, blue jay as well, so more high-pitched. Sasquatch gravitates to clear, fresh sources of water. In fact, some say they are excellent swimmers. Derek Condit mentioned a video that went viral that was shot from a Washington State ferry that captures what appears to be a Sasquatch swimming between islands. I found the witness interviewed on Coast to Coast AM and I put those links in the show notes so you can um, read and listen to it yourself. His name is Reetman Mullis and he was 10 years old at the time. It set off a lifelong passion in him to find Sasquatch. Smelly. Okay, so some say he's pungent and off-putting. Something like a dead body is what the scent is described as. We'll get into this further later, but I did ask Derek Condit about that smell. We agreed that if Sasquatch just showed up for people, it'd probably scare the crap out of most folks. So instead, maybe he comes to people in more subtle ways, like a glimmer and a clump of fur, or a hint of a strange vocalization, or, and this is what I'd add it, I, I would add out into it a smell like that people often report in association with Sasquatch. And maybe even the tracks. That's a more subtle way of experiencing Bigfoot. We talked about the unusual vocalizations. Um, others um, describe it as an owl or guttural grunts or whistles and clear high yips. I just wanted to add that to the vocalization piece. This might be the most controversial aspect of Sasquatch, but the best reports on the DNA of Bigfoot say that there's female human mitochondria with an unknown human type male. And I'll leave that to you to dog down on the internet. The reports are there. Earlier DNA reports didn't show any um, human stuff because they were comparing the sample with animals. So that was a flaw in the earlier reporting. So why is the Cascade Mountain Range a Sasquatch hotspot? BFRO.com, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, which was founded in 1995, has a comprehensive and free sightings database on their website, which I've provided links to in the show notes. They keep track of all reports of Bigfoot throughout the United States, and it probably comes as no surprise to you that Washington State leads the pack, even this year, with over 700 reports. California comes in second with almost 500 reports, and Oregon is in the top five with 257 reports. Interestingly, there have never been any reports of Bigfoot on Hawaii. Isn't that strange? But take a look at their sightings map, and most are clustered around the Cascade Mountains. But why? Researchers speculate it's because that area has the natural resources, the food and clean air and water, as well as isolation and space for Sasquatch to live a private existence. All that makes sense, but... Is there anything else to it? The Cascades were born from the collision of tectonic plates. I mean, we're talking 19 volcanic peaks, sulfur, ash, geothermal energies, ice, snow, fire, granite, basalt, gold. I mean, add all that up and it's a huge chain of supernatural energies in one band of peaks. What if Sasquatch needs those energies to survive as well? Some say the mountains attract all sorts of high strangeness because of their unique combination of elements and features. It's speculation, but it's also something to pay attention to if you venture out into the mountains in search of Bigfoot, where I have tips about contacting Sasquatch at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. This feels like the perfect moment to share the most controversial aspect of Cascadia Sasquatch his alleged supernatural abilities, traits, powers. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk about those next. Okay, I was telling you before the break, this feels like the perfect moment to share the most controversial aspect of Cascadia Sasquatch, his alleged supernatural abilities, traits, powers. They can allegedly disappear suddenly. They can hypnotize people or cause a person they touch to fall unconscious. They can jump dimensions. There are accounts of, of Bigfoot disappearing suddenly like a spirit. David Politis and Angela in northern Colorado experienced Bigfoot tracks in new snow with no markings around them, and then the tracks just stopped. So some of the questions I have are, do they live between realities in this world or use portals? And if so, where did they get these abilities? And, you know, if we could find an answer to that, wouldn't we understand why we've never found full bodies? And it's a common explanation for many tribes that they jump dimensions. Well, I put that question to Derek Condit. He said that he doesn't like the term dimension because it feels separate from our current reality. Instead, he says density, which rings true. He went on to explain that Sasquatch is able to change his density so that in some instances, it's as though he disappears. It's why the footprints on fresh snow just seem to disappear. Less dense, more airy, the Sasquatch no longer has the weight, right, to leave a physical impression. This could also explain why we don't find Sasquatch carcasses after they die. As for the reports Sasquatch can hypnotize people, many stories um, tell of a group of People that slept through an encounter, but they were proximate to someone that was carried off or they were awake and they observed it. The ability to hypnotize would explain those stories. So I have to ask, is Sasquatch a friend or foe? I told you I'm watching Missing 411 David Politis on YouTube. He's giving a 20-part class on Bigfoot, which I highly recommend. I'm learning quite a bit. He reads very old newspaper articles, tribal oral histories, and more. And Hippolytus' observation, and this comes from tribal elders he's interviewed, in regards to accounts of Sasquatch chasing people specifically. The elders say that Sasquatch realizes on some level that he appears very different than us humans, and in most instances probably scares us. So the chasing is an effort to try and be playful or play and make friends. A second observation from Paulides comes from an affidavit he took of a mother. She was watching her son on his motorbike. He would zoom up a mountain path and then not far behind him, a smaller Bigfoot, which she at first mistook for a bear, ran behind him and then ducked into the brush. Then when her son zipped back down the path, the Bigfoot emerged and ran behind him, again hiding behind the brush. The mother was nervous and made her son come inside, but after some time passed, like days or weeks, I'm not sure how long. She realized the Bigfoot was just playing, and his smaller stature indicated it was a teenage being, just like her son. Derek Condit knows Sasquatch to be a great healer. As he shared this, my heart tingled. During the interview, we even talked about it. I had to say something. Behind him to his left, I saw these waves like a ripple in the lighting. And Derek Condit went on to explain that during his healing sessions, sometimes Bigfoot shows up and gets the job done because it's such a massive undertaking that Condit doesn't have the psychic resources to do the work alone. One interesting bit that I almost missed about that interview is when I thanked Derek Condit for his energy sessions he selflessly offers free each month on that mysticalwares.com website, you sign up and that day your name goes into this energy device and then you're sent out what energy you need to heal. Well, this is the part I almost missed. In order to create that massive love vibration, Derek Condit uses a Bigfoot figurine that someone gave him. He pictures the love energy swirling and forming around that figure, which represents all of us signed up for that energy session. How perfect. I have so many questions about Cascadia Sasquatch still. Does Sasquatch create art? Have we seen art that Sasquatch has done and attributed it to Homo sapiens? I asked Derek Condit this and he said he's never put that question to Bigfoot, but it's his understanding that art carved into the face of rocks, like etched into stone, as well as um, stone that appears to have been cut with lasers, even though the carbon dating shows the art was done hundreds of years prior to that technology. Those are works by Bigfoot and can be found across the globe. I also wonder does Sasquatch dream? We don't yet have an answer to this. Does Sasquatch bury or in some other way honor their dead? The best guess we have is that Sasquatch's ability to change density also comes with a deep understanding that when their loved one dies, then they have an implicit knowledge that death does not mean gone. It means a change in density. So they're able to visit their deceased loved ones with ease. So what's with the rumors about a correlation between Sasquatch and UFO sightings? Derek Condit had much to say about this, but we ran up against the clock. He promised to return soon to get into this, but he did hint that it has to do with vibrations. From SasquatchChronicles.com, they say, The oldest account of Bigfoot was recorded in 986 AD by Leif Erickson and his men. During their first landing in the New World, the Norsemen wrote about man-like beasts that were horribly ugly, hairy, swarthy, and with great black eyes. Among his accounts, Leif told of seeing huge hairy men who towered over him and his men. The huge hairy men, according to Leif, lived in the woods and had a rank odor and a deafening shriek. It should be noted that Leif Erikson and his men describe huge man-like beasts that were loud and foul-smelling and cre- clearly distinct from native peoples. Apparently, Leif had several sightings of the huge hairy men before departing the island. They called the creature Skellering. People believe that the creature Skellering is what we know today as Bigfoot. This is the earliest recorded encounter with Bigfoot or Sasquatch. The Norse word skelring is a term of contempt. It means roughly a barbarian. So what's interesting is the word hairy. The Norse were a hairy people themselves, big men with matted hair and beards. So why did they remark on the skelring being hairy? Was it because they were very much hairier than the Norsemen? I did want to share some of those Sasquatch stories I collected as background for my conversation with you here. So I'm going to read to you from the Oregon Journal, and they did an overview of a lot of incidents about monster sightings rekindling interest in Mount St. Helens' hairy giant saga. Are the legendary hairy giants of Mount St. Helens, which reportedly terrorized early visitors to that area, on the march again? Strange, unidentified monsters reportedly sighted by two different groups of Portland visitors to the Washington area during the the past weekend brought knowing nods from old-timers. These things have been seen before. Three people driving along a remote mountain road east of the Cascade Wilderness area early Sunday said they saw a 10-foot, white, hairy figure moving rapidly along the roadside. It was caught in the headlights as their car passed, but they were too frightened to turn around to investigate. Another Portland woman and her husband, fishing on the Lewis River south of Mount St. Helens, saw a huge beige figure, bigger than any human, along the bank of the river, as they watched it moved into a thicket with a lumbering gait. So again a different fur color, slightly, you know, a lighter brown and it was by that fresh clear flow, you know, water. These reports are shades of the famous Mount St. Helens apes, according to retired forest ranger Marshall Stenerson, who was stationed at the ranger station for many years. He had listened to and investigated many reports about the strange monsters that supposedly inhabit the slopes and the remote wild country around the beautiful mountain. Stenderson is now stationed in Portland, but while he was in charge of the Mountain Ranger Station, he instigated an investigation into the history and legends of the St. Helens area. This investigation revealed that the stories of the hairy giants on Mount St. Helens are older than the white man's inhabitation of the Northwest. The Clallam Indian tribe claims these giants are a ferocious Salatic Indians, a tribe of renegade marauder-like people who live like animals in the caves and lava tunnels in the high Cascades. I've told you about those lava tunnels. Evidently, the white man's first encounter with the creatures was a wild one. In 1924, Marion Smith and five miners rushed into Kelso, Washington report to report that a band of great ape-like creatures had attacked them in the middle of the night. Smith said they had been working in a mine on the east side of Mount St. Helens. They encountered some of the hairy giants on the mountainside during the daytime and fired on them to halt an attack at that time. One of the huge creatures was believed slain, and the body rolled over a cliff into a deep ravine destined thereafter to be known as Ape Canyon, located on the southeastern slope of Mount St. Helen. The attack continued after dark, Smith reported to the Cowlitz County Sheriff. The, high, the hairy giant ape man pelted their cabin at night with rocks and danced and screamed until daylight, they described the mountain devils as being at least seven feet tall and covered with long black hair. Their arms were long and trailed, they said. The great ape hunt of 1924 followed, but no apes were ever found. Reference to apes is the white man's term, the local Indians say. Um, they are renegade outcasts or people. The sheriff led a par- large party out of Kelso on an eerie trip to Mount St. Helens with all participants armed. They found huge footprints around the miners' cabin, but never saw what made the footprints. Nevertheless, the miners never went back to mining in that area. Inspired by this white man legend, an employee at the ranger station later had a lot of fun with a large foot form. From time to time, he left its imprints on the lakeshore. This caused a lot of excitement, and later when someone discovered all tracks were of the same right foot, he admitted to the hoax. However, the hairy giant legend persists today, and more fuel has been added to the fire from time to time as intermittent reports have come in about persons sighted strange figures um, on the mountainsides or hearing weird noises in the wilderness. The sightings last weekend were the first reported for several years. Are the old-timers right when they surmise that the hairy ape men may be on the move again? Again, this came from the Oregon Journal in 1962. There's also rumors, dark rumors, strange rumors about unmarked black helicopters that removed bodies of Bigfoot that died due to the massive eruption of Mount St. Helens on May 18th, 1980. I found one report and I'm going to read it off my phone because it was so intriguing. All right. So this report comes from Washington Bigfoot. I've put the links to it in the show note and they reference a previous post dug a bit into the idea that the local Bigfoot that lived around Mount St. Helens may have been killed in the 1980 eruption. Well, a thread on Facebook took it a bit further with information about multiple reports of sightings of Bigfoot bodies being removed by those reacting to the disaster. The government is hiding dead Bigfoot bodies." The first account is from Who's Watching You? An Exploration of the Bigfoot Phenomenon in the Pacific Northwest by Linda Coyle Suchi. And the quote that they have is, Um, they don't give the first part of it, but it says, was placed in charge of one pile of dead animals in particular. The pile was covered and no one was allowed to come near it. Armed U.S. National Guard personnel were guarding this pile. On the day that they were going to move this group of bodies, Bradshaw was standing very close to the pile and was told to keep his mouth closed about what we were about to witness. When the tarps were removed, he was amazed to see that the bodies were those of Sasquatch. Some Badly burned in some knot. They were placed in a large net and lifted into the back of a truck, which was then tarped over. Freedom of Information Acts were filed to see if there was an official report. The response was quite predictable, they say, and uninformative. There were no documented reports of Bigfoot or Sasquatch carcasses, and there were no projects to attempt to locate and or recover any bodies. Another report, also from the same book, claims a man in Spokane saw a large double-rotor helicopter, most likely an Army Chinook, fly overhead at between a 100 to 150 feet. The helicopter was carrying a cargo net that contained at least three dead Bigfoot bodies. The bodies were described as hairy, gray, ash-coated arms and legs, and they end the article with Well, that's weird. And there's a whole lot of comments underneath. So really take a look at the original article because some poke fun at the report while others give a little bit more information about, you know, their cousin of a cousin heard something too. Intriguing all the same because the rumors have persisted and it's been 43 years now. It's bananas. For listeners who wish to explore the wilderness in search of Cascadia Sasquatch, Derek Condit had this straightforward advice. Set an intention the night before, then put some fresh fruit like apples or grapes into your backpack. Leave those pieces of fruit on the trail as you hike the next day, and keep your eyes and ears open for unusual sounds, clumps of fur in nearby bushes, and pay attention to odd and pungent smells. He and his daughter tend to go out early in the morning before those trails become crowded. More advice from Rhett Mullis, the lifelong researcher that spotted Bigfoot as a kid. He told Coast to Coast AM that Bigfoot activity increases in the fall as the creatures move down to lower elevations to feed before winter. Apple orchards are a popular destination, he noted. If you do venture out and wish to, to take some castings of any footprints you come across. David Politis kind of went over that in his Bigfoot class. He was uh, taught by others that resin hardens faster than plaster of Paris, though he does admit there's a lot more waste with working with resin, but it, it hardens within seconds versus having to sit around for nine hours and wait for plaster of Paris to harden. He also mentioned that if you come across a track in sand, like on a beach, be sure to carry hairspray with you. Spray that print, then let it dry for a minute or two, and then make your casting. The hairspray holds that sand in place so you get a better impression. I hope you enjoyed our Sasquatch in Cascadia bonus episode. We will be turning our attention to the skies above the Cascade mountain range next time. If you're curious to dig deeper into what I covered today, check out the show notes and enjoy that research project. Yes, nature is powerful. It's also wondrous and magical. Just a moment standing in the shadow of a mountain or at the edge of a riverbed shrinks that ego and heals the soul. I hope Cascadia inspires you to dust off your backpack and venture into the wild. Who knows what mysteries lie ahead on the trail. If you happen to encounter something supernatural, drop us a line at curious underscore cat underscore podcast at iCloud.com. Maybe your story will be featured in an upcoming episode. If you venture into nature, be safe out there. Let someone know where you're headed and when you plan to return. Until next time, stay curious. I love you.